So Peter Thiel, a man known for his contrarianism, has over the past few years, and even recently, has spoken out against the environmentalist movement and his incredibly contrarian take on climate change, in which I think is just incredibly fascinating. And once again, goes against 99% of the people within the world. The consensus is focused upon one narrative when it comes to climate change, when it comes to fossil fuels. Peter Thiel, once again, has an extremely contrarian view. It's very interesting. We don't have that shared experience. The only thing left like that is like the Super Bowl, probably. It's the only thing left that we watch live all together and we talk about it the next day. But everything is going to be, become like that. All of radio, all of mm -hmm. music is already that way. You just don't go out and buy an album anymore and you buy the songs you like. Mm -hmm. So culturally, we're fragmenting everywhere. Mm -hmm. Can you keep a culture together when it's fragmented that much? Um, I don't I don't I don't have answers to all these questions. So I don't you know, I don't actually know how you change the culture, how you improve it, how you uh, I, I don't think you can reverse things. And I don't think we can somehow force it back into some uh, no, working I, hole. So I, don't, I, I don't think that works. Right. Um, but I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is, can the culture because it seems and I think this is natural. When things get to big companies are like mm -hmm. this, when they get too big, they they fail, reset, um, or they break apart, you know. And and we've just become this gigantic monolithic monstrosity that doesn't work. Are we breaking down into smaller pieces? And can you still keep the root of who you are as a culture, as a people, without that? Well, I think I think because we have a monolithic monstrosity. I think it, breaking it down is probably an improvement. You yes. know, it's, 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 it's um, and you know, the, the other side of this uh, monolithic uh, uh, monstrosity, um, um, and I always think the biggest political problem we have is the problem of political correctness properly understood. And I understand it as sort of conformity um, and all the peer pressures that push diversity us Diversity is good as long as you agree with my diverse opinion. Yes, it's not, diversity is not just um, the extras from the space cantina scene in Star Wars. It is, um, you want uh, people, um, you know, it's not just people who look different and think alike. It's right. diversity of ideas that, right. that really matters. And so, um, and so I think that, uh, I think that that's, uh, and so I do think that having a space where you can think for yourself uh, and where it doesn't always get second-guessed is, is very important. And so, you know, there's, um, there are people, uh, you know, we, we have a we have all these monolithic debates about science or pseudoscience. There's like the you know there's the climate change uh, debate and uh, and where is that science or pseudoscience? I, I think um, I think very often when, uh, I think it's more pseudoscience, but uh, it's it's often um, it's it's again when you, whenever whenever you can't have a debate, I often think that's that's evidence that there's a problem. You know, when Correct. people use the word science, it's a it's often a tell like in poker that you're bluffing. And so it's it's like uh, you know it's like we have social science, we have political science. We don't call it physical science or chemical science. We just call them physics and chemistry because we just know they're they're right. And you can debate the periodic table of elements. No one will be upset if you ha if you ask questions about that. We call it climate science. It's a tell, like in poker. It's telling you that uh, that people are um, are exaggerating and that they're bluffing a little bit. So but um, but uh, but I think. I think that, uh, you know, I think this monolithic uh, culture is breaking down. People are asking questions. You know, the weather has not been getting warmer for the last 15 years. The hockey stick that Al Gore predicted uh, in the early 2000s 
on the, on the climate has not happened for the last decade. And I think as this monolithic culture breaks down, you can have more real debates. And, and I think that's, 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 that, that would be a good thing on net. So if you had a fund manager and this fund manager was asking you to deposit millions of millions of dollars within his control, in which he would later invest within equities, what is the logical thing you would do? Rationally, you would ask to see his track record in order to gauge some trust in regards to his capabilities. And to your surprise, let's say hypothetically, this fund manager doesn't solely have one year of negative returns. He doesn't have two years or three years. He has 50 years of negative returns. Would you give your money to the fund manager? Obviously not. However, as a society, we are doing exactly that with the media. And the funny thing is that we don't even notice it. Just look at this clip here in which shows that since the 70s, the mainstream media, or what I call the knowledge system of today's age, has been 180 degrees wrong in reference to climate change. Just Not just 50% wrong, but 180 degrees wrong. They've been totally wrong in reference to climate change and their views on environmentalism. You can see here that instead of predicting global warming, they were calling for global cooling. You can see the Guardian 74 space satellites show the new ice ages coming fast. 75, the cooling world, climatologists pessimistic. The political leader is going to take any positive action to compensate for the climate change or to ally its effects there in reference to global cooling. The New York Times and 78 international teams of specialists find no end in sight for the 30-year cooling trend in the Northern Hemisphere. And other people, designated experts, in which, by the way, are still the main people whom are responsible today for the rhetoric in reference to climate change, Al Gore, whom was a terrible, terrible person, eh, whom predicted this idea of a radical cooling. In fact, Al Gore stated during one of his speeches in Copenhagen that in 09, there was a 75% chance the entire North Polar ice cap during some of the summer, summer months could be completely ice-free. Gore also claimed in 06, there would be no solving climate change if drastic measures weren't taken around the world to reduce greenhouse gases by 2016. Or another one, Paul Ehrlich. He is a terrible person whom is anti-humanistic, I would say, within his ideology and philosophy. He was the conspicuous person who was responsible for the rhetoric and the moral panic in reference to the population time bomb. This was basically this idea, it was a bestseller actually, the population bomb written by Paul, whom warns of the level of overpopulation, mass starvation, societal upheaval, environmental deterioration. And this book was criticized at the time for painting an overly dark picture of the world. Now it turns out, of course, none of those predictions by Paul came correct. So as I noted at the start, if the fund manager came with you with a 50-year negative track record, would you give your money? Obviously not, but we're doing exactly this with the mainstream media and with figureheads such as Al Gore and Paul, who are still at the forefront of the environmental uh, so-called movement. Surely, 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 we must raise an eyebrow or even just question as to if the mainstream media, the narrative in reference to fossil fuels, to climate change, is anywhere correct. Anywhere. Is it correct in any dimension? Until recently, Tuesday night at the big energy conference in Texas, questioned the restriction of global carbon emissions and advocated against groupthink, which he said could lead to a misdiagnosing of the climate problem. He made the remarks during the 45-minute interview with energy analyst Daniel Jurgen. He mentioned within a quote, I'm not sure. I'm extremely skeptical of the climate change debate. and I have my doubts about the extreme ways in which people try to push it through. 
Even if climate change is quite as bad as people think, if we fall prey to groupthink, we're more likely to misdiagnose the problem. Maybe it's methane emissions, and the real problem is eating steak, he said. So people, and perhaps rightfully so, often ask me, Christian, as to why do you have a contrarian view and a, dif a, a differing view in comparison to the so-called experts in reference to climate change and your optimism in regards to why we should use more fossil fuels, not less, not solely to solve the climate issue, but two, to allow for human flourishing at scale. And this is the view in which Peter Thiel similarly upholds. Let me explain. We have what is called the knowledge system of today's age, which is characterized by the specialists, the experts, the synthesizing organizations, and the mainstream media. And this is basically a system in which allows for complex topics to be democratized and understood from an individualistic level. Very complex topics such as climate change. They start with the specialists, they go to the synthesizing organizations, and then they go towards the media for dissemination, for democratization. That is how the knowledge system within today's society works. But let me tell you a secret. It is not the experts who are saying that the world is going to blow up within five years in consideration of climate change, but it is the designated experts who are saying this. And there's a big difference between the experts and the designated experts. People like Paul Elrich, people like Al Gore, they are the designated experts. They're people that have been propped up by the mainstream media, but they are not real experts. So to understand as to why mainstream media and the societal narrative in reference to climate change is so wrong, we must firstly understand the knowledge system and how information is processed throughout the knowledge system. And by the way, it's just so reductionistic, in my opinion, to solely state that because the designated experts are saying X or Y, we should just instantaneously follow them blindly. That is just very, very wrong. If you look back throughout history, many bad things have happened, which stemmed from the experts. And in consideration of the lack of questioning of authority figures, people just went along with it. Things like eugenics, things like slavery. Bad things have happened within the past, and the experts were proponents of this. So as I stated, the knowledge system is characterized of three major areas. Firstly, including the experts or specialists, people that dedicate their whole life towards one specific subcomponent of, let's say, climate change. In this case, let's say tree rings or ice cores. They solely study this one specific subcomponent of the overall umbrella topic. Next, you then have the synthesizing organizations, such as the IPCC within the case of climate change, who are a group that have gathered together in order to basically gather and, and make regular reports in reference to what the so-called experts are saying. And then next, you have the dissemination of the information, the democratization of the information within the case of climate change, the mainstream media. Now, I'm sure you're aware, throughout this three-stage process, things go wrong. Perhaps what the expert is saying at the start of the chain is not accurately relayed, and thus is catastrophized, as within the case of climate change, by the mainstream media. Therefore, what I'm saying is that it is not the experts who are wrong. It is not the experts at the start of the chain who dedicate their whole life in reference to one specific niche subcomponent of the overall climate umbrella. They are not wrong. Instead, who is wrong is either the synthesizing organization who interpret and gather the information from all of these experts, and two, and perhaps most evidently, the mainstream media who catastrophize. In other words, people like Paul Ehrlich and Al Gore have been propped up by the mainstream media for such a long time and have had a huge influence when it comes to the so-called rhetoric on climate change. For example, within the case of the synthesizing organization, as, as present within the case of the IPCC, you basically have a few people whom are responsible for choosing as to which information goes within the official IPCC reports, and therefore these individuals have, have huge power, and perhaps it can be ignorance, or perhaps even more conspiratorially, it can be skewed incentive sy systems 
in which results within these individuals picking certain pieces of information to go in the reports, because obviously this is huge influence. If the IPCC says it, then it must be correct. But we can't be that redu reductionistic. For example, one evident place in which the IPCC report has just never reported upon is the fact that there has been a 95% reduction within climate-related deaths since the start of the 1900s. Now, why is that? That seems like a really important statistic, especially in consideration of the fact that the overall rhetoric in re relation to climate change is that the climate is getting worse. Well, if it's getting worse, why has there been a 95% reduction within climate-related deaths since the start of the century? That doesn't make sense. This narrative, this, this figure I told you about, goes 100% against what the overall narrative from the mainstream media is saying. And two, within the case of the mainstream media, obviously they have skewed incentives towards catastrophization, because that is how the mainstream media makes money when they have a clickbaity title or story, they make more money in reference to people clicking on their posts. And perhaps it's just ignorance too, in which the journalists fundamentally don't understand these incredibly complex topics, and thus solely move towards the narrative in which has been present for such a long time, in which once again leads to catastrophization, or just a pure misrelaying and dissemination of information. So what Peter and I agree with is the fact that energy is fundamental for society. It is literally the basis of society. As we can see throughout most human history, stagnation from a productivity standpoint has occurred. And this is because humans were confined by the physical limitations in regards to the ability to exert power and thus be productive. This is why throughout the majority of human history, we've seen mass stagnation and limited productivity. And this was a vicious cycle due to the limited productivity. This led towards low life expectancy and low income. However, in consideration of this low life expectancy and low income, this led towards the cycle continuing and therefore no innovation. However, machines allowed us as sapiens to break free from these limitations of our poor physical power, resulting within the amplification and extension of productivity. Amplification within the sense that we can create, for example, incubators for young babies and extensions within the fact that we can extend our productivity by a retractor in which is a thousand X more productive than a human. And this is why thousands of years ago, thanks to machinery, we have seen a rapid increase within income, life expectancy, and population. We live in a world in which is one million times better than any other prior state. And this is thanks to machines, in which, as we shall get to, are powered by the ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil fuels. What people don't understand in reference to this climate debate is actually just incredibly concerning. Not solely to fossil fuels, in consideration of their cost-effectiveness, ultra-affordability, reliability, transportability, versatility, the fundamental tenets of good energy, in consideration of all of these tenets and principles being ticked, in which is, by the way, incredibly unique to fossil fuels. This is not present from any other form of energy, really perhaps the closest comparable competitor is that of nuclear energy. Well, once again, that even has been demonized, and which should make us even more conspiratorial and perhaps question the mainstream narrative. But what people don't understand is that in consideration of the ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil fuels, in which powers the machines and thus makes us more productive, this has enabled not solely better protection against the environment, hence 95% plus reduction within climate-related deaths since the start of the century, but two, it has allowed for increased and improved water quality, and thirdly, it has allowed for better environmental quality. Now this is, once again, is incredibly hard for people to digest instantaneously because the mainstream narrative is in reference to the dangers of climate change, it's in reference to the dangers of fossil fuels. But I'm saying that I think the mainstream narrative has got this completely wrong. 
and actually, once again, as we saw in the 70s, is catastrophizing, is getting this whole story completely and utterly wrong. Now, perhaps conspicuously, they're doing this, or maybe more innocently, it's just incompetence. So let's start with the 95% reduction within climate-related deaths since the 20s. There has been a dramatic reduction within climate-related deaths, and this has to be the result of at least one or two factors. Number one, either an improvement within the state of climate conditions and or, number two, an improvement within the state of our ability to protect ourselves from the climate. Which of these has changed dramatically for the better? And the dramatic change has been due to an improvement within our ability to protect ourselves from climate dangers, such as extreme temperatures, droughts, storms, floods, and wildfires. How have we gotten so good at protecting ourselves from the climate? And in large part, this is due to the lovely cost-effectiveness of fossil fuels, in which has enabled fossil-fueled powered machinery, fossil-fueled powered labor. We use fossil-fueled construction machines to build sturdy buildings. We use fossil-fueled heating machines to produce warmth when it is cold. We use fossil-fueled cooling machines to produce cool air when it is hot. We use fossil-fueled irrigation machines to alleviate drought. And to put the relationship between fossil fuels and our safety from the climate within a sentence, ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil-fueled energy powers the machines that produces unprecedented protection from the climate. And the fact that the fossil-fueled machine labor makes us far safer from the climate has major implications in terms of how we think about the environmental side effects of fossil fuels and other forms of energy. So whilst the mainstream narrative and what we're taught within schools and universities is the fact that actually the climate is getting far more dangerous, this is totally wrong and goes against the evidence in reference to the 95 plus percent reduction within climate-related deaths. And this is something in which is commonly labelled as environmental or climate mastery. This basically shows climate mastery, the phenomenon in which in consideration of the ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil fuel, this powers machines in which enables for far safer environments, as, as the reasons I mentioned previously. And the point that people need to understand too is that the term adaptation does not do justice to the necessity of ultra-cost effective energy in which powers the machines. We are incredibly dependent upon cost-effective energy. It literally fundamentally powers everything within our society, from hospitals, from vehicle and transportation, literally everything from a society, education, all of it is reliant upon cost-effective energy, and fossil fuels is that best possibility. And, as we also see interestingly, is it not solely in consideration of the ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil fuels in which gives us unprecedented protection against the environment, in consideration of the fact that we've seen a 95-plus percent reduction within climate-related deaths since the 20s, but two, in consideration of the ultra-cost effectiveness of fossil fuels, this also has enabled better water quality and environmental quality, which once again is very hard for people to digest instantaneously because this goes against the mainstream narrative in reference to fossil fuels. Whilst our knowledge system has warned us against the dangers of water quality and environmental quality in reference to fossil fuels, this is just fundamentally not, as what, not what has happened. In fact, water quality has gotten far better around the world, thanks to fossil fuels to a large part. And whilst fossil fuels alone most definitely can contaminate water, in reality this does not happen. Human ingenuity makes us better and better at producing more fossil fuel energy with less pollution. Therefore, the predictions that water pollution problems for fossil fuels would be worse and worse were just wrong. That said, the most significant way in which fossil fuels have contributed towards improvements within water quality is not the decline within their own water pollution, but rather the use within producing unprecedented amounts of clean water around the world. Similarly to the extent in which fossil-fueled machine labor increases the safety of the climate, expanded fossil fuel use too has powered the construction and operation 
of water pumping systems that can bring water from where it is to where it needs to be, and water purification systems that can transform dirty water into drinkable water. Once again, this is no trivial matter, and the fundamental tenant in which our society is reliant upon is the cost-effectiveness of energy in which powers the machines. And air quality too. On the screen you can see the EPA of six major air pollutants. And we can see as fossil fuel use goes up, they go down. What happened here? Well, ingenious humans have found ways to utilize more fossil fuels while simultaneously reducing the harms to the environment. That is, to reduce the side effects of fossil fuel use through environmental mastery. We know there are places such as China, which have high levels of smog, but the track record of the rest of the world indicates that this can be corrected as appropriate whilst using ever-increasing amounts of fossil fuels. And interestingly too, this is via another means in which, aside from the point of innovation, in which when one uses fossil fuels and enables a nation to gain wealth and riches, there is an ability to innovate and thus reduce the side effects in reference to the utilization of fossil fuels. This has happened across the world. But two, from a more reductionistic level, a more simplistic explanation, it turns out that poor people utilize dung and wood in which are incredibly dirty forms of energy, they're far dirtier than fossil fuels. However, when you make people and nations wealthier, and when you transport these people over towards cleaner fossil fuels, this evidently cleans up the environment. And this makes sense in regards to hierarchy of needs. If you're poor and you're trying to survive on a daily basis, you don't care about the environment. You don't care about cleaning up after yourself. You don't care about anything environmentally related. You just solely care about surviving on a day-to-day -day basis. However, when you get wealthier, when you get richer, you move away from the dirty forms of energy, namely dung and wood, but instead you utilize cleaner forms of energy, such as fossil fuels. And two, you have the ability once you're wealthier and you're not surviving and you're not trying to survive on a day-to-day -day basis for the basic necessities, you have the ability to reforest, to have more care about the environment, to think about diversity of eco-nature, eco etc. So, to put it simply, I totally agree with Peter Thiel, and this is one of his contrarian views, in which once again goes against the mainstream narrative. And one thing I think we've seen over the past few years is that the mainstream narrative, madness of crowds, is just an absurdity beyond belief. It's remarkable how many people can, can really just be blindsided by these waves of madness from the crowd in which people instantaneously agree with a certain ideology, and especially if it's labelled or at least disguised as a pro-human and an ethical kind of thing to do, people instantaneously adopt this viewpoint. So there it is, Peter Till agrees that instead of conspicuously pushing up the price of energy, thus pushing billions of people over towards the point of poverty in an attempt to transition us instantaneously towards so-called renewable intermittent forms of solar and wind, instead, Peter Till believes we should be utilising more fossil fuels, in which not solely solves issues in relation to climate change, but too enables for human flourishing. It is just remarkable, this misunderstanding as a society, and I think if we go ahead with the net zero plans, if we go ahead with these idiotic plans in, ref in reference to supposedly saving the climate, this is going to push billions of people over towards the point of poverty and just cause catastrophe at scale. We need cost-effective, cheap, reliable, affordable forms of energy, versatile forms of energy, transportable forms of energy. They are literally the basis of our society. And when you try to ban that, I mean, society is going to descend into chaos.